Come on, just lift your hands to Jesus. Father, we just worship you. We bless you, God. We give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. Lord, we give you thanksgiving, which is the fruit of our lips. We glorify you. We magnify you. We worship you. Lord, we just thank you for your presence in this place tonight. We thank you, Father, for ministering to us, for letting there be an anointing that's released tonight. Open up your people's heart to receive the word of God this evening. Let nobody leave this place the same. Let your glorious presence rain down upon us in a supernatural and mighty way. And God, for it, we thank you, we bless you, we give you all the praise, the glory, we give you honor. We thank you, Lord God, for letting your word have free course tonight and for opening up everybody's hearts to receive your word tonight. And for it, Father, we thank you, we bless you, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, come on, let's just give Jesus a praise tonight. Amen, amen, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. All right. Have your seats, everybody. Thank you, Jesus. All right. How's everybody doing tonight? You guys good? Oh. All right. We're just going to get right down to business. We're going to get right into the word of God tonight. Turn in your Bibles to Esther chapter 3. Now, you know, we're, we're picking up on, um, or I'm picking up on where I've been for the last several weeks talking about really having learning or, or cultivating a discerning, discerning of spirits, you know, learning spiritual discernment. And a part of that is, is um, recognizing when spirits are operating through people, um, you know, as you begin to deal in the affairs of life, you know, you need to kind of know what's moving and operating through individuals, what kind of spirits are lurking behind, you know, the smiles. So um, really that's the reason for, you know, me, me really ministering this message because I, I want you to begin to see it in scripture so that when you see it moving through people, you know exactly what, what it is and what's happening and what the devil is trying to do through individuals. Uh, it's just very important, especially as leaders, that you, you can see it, right? Um, so anyway, I'm going to get into tonight, I want to talk about Haman, who is, uh, was called the, really the enemy of the Jews. And um, I want to talk a little bit about the spirit that began to operate through this man and how he began to really the vendetta that he had for one individual turned into a vendetta for the whole, a whole nation. So um, we're just going to kind of jump right into it. In Esther chapter 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 6 there. And it says there that after these things that King Ahasuerus uh, promote Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman. For the king had also had so commanded concerning him. It says there, but Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. It says, then the king's servants, which were in the king's gate, said unto Mordecai, Why transgresseth thou the king's commandment? And it said, Now it came to pass, when they spake daily unto him, and he hearkened not unto them, that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. 
And it says, and when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. And he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So he thought it wasn't, it's not good enough for me to just, you know, take Mordecai out. <laughs> for they had showed him the people of Mordecai, or the, the, the Jews, you know. Wherefore, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, even the people of Mordecai. So now we see this uh, introduction of this man named Haman. Now he's doing pretty good for himself. You know, the king promotes him to really a seat that's only next to his. And he has favor and he's blessed and stuff like that. But he got one problem. This one man won't bow before him like everybody else. <laughs> so not only does he want to take him out, he wants to kill all the Jews now because this guy won't bow down before him. So um, I just put here, you know, so this, this man Haman was, is very well liked by the king. So much so that the king promotes him to a very high position, higher than anyone else in the whole kingdom. And uh, because of this, a command has been made that everyone was to bow before him when he walks by them. But Mordecai refuses to, because of course, because of his, his principles, as far as his religion is concerned, he, he, he's not going to bow before anybody but God. The amazing thing is that Haman doesn't even notice this until someone brings it to his attention. But isn't that just like people? Because they're bowing, they want other people to bow too. You see, misery always loves company. Now, Mordecai has become, now he's put on his radar. Because he's, you know, walking by, everybody's bowing, he ain't even think about nothing, you know. Until somebody brings it to his attention, and then he recognizes every time he walks by, this man knows them bowed down before him. <laughs> so now he's on his radar. And every time he sees Mordecai, he's trying to see if he's going to bow to him. Of course, he never does. Now, this incenses him to the point that he not only wants to kill him, but he also wants to exterminate his entire people. Now, of course, the problem is that God has been positioning Mordecai and Esther just for this particular time, you know. But the bottom line is, you know, that's just like, you know, that's just like people, right? And that's why I wanted to bring out, that's why I said he has a spirit of greed, for power on him. And I put greed for power because greed can come in different forms. You know, some people are greedy for money. You know, some people are just, they, they're greedy for power. You know, they just can't never get enough. No matter how many people they are, everybody else is bound before him. Just one man won't. And that incenses him to the point where he's ready to not just take this man out. He's ready to exterminate a whole race full of people just because one man won't bow before him. And see, that's, that's when greed gets on the inside of you, nothing is never enough. Too, too much is never enough. There's never a point where you got enough. If somebody's greedy for money, I don't care how much money they got, it's never enough. Somebody's greedy for power, I don't care how much power they get, it's never enough. I always want more, you know? And this is where this man is. He has a, he has a spirit of greed for power on him. And you can tell that because all of the power that he has right now, and you'll see it more as we begin to dig this out in scripture, but no matter how much power he has, it's not enough. He, this man won't bow to him. 
you know, and, and this just sets him off to the point where he's really to kill, ready to kill everybody. And then, of course, he got a spirit of revenge on him. No question about that. So this is the situation that Mordecai and the Jewish people find themselves in. And now let's pick it up in verse, um, we're in verse uh, 6. Let's pick it up in verse 8. It says there, now, now he's ready to kill everybody. So he goes to the king. It says, and Haman said unto king Ahasuerus, there, there is a certain uh, people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. And their laws are diverse from all the people. Neither keep they the king's laws. Therefore, it is not for the king's profit to suffer them or to allow them to continue and to live. If it pleases the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed. <laughs> and now check this out. And I will pay you 10,000 talents of silver. So he's ready to not only, you know, exterminate these guys. He said, I'm, you know, I'll pay you to do it. So he says, I'll pay you 10,000 talents of silver to hand to the hands of those that have charge of the business to bring it unto the king's treasuries. And the king took his ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the Jew's enemy. And the king said unto Haman, the silver is given unto thee, the people also, to do with them as seemeth good to you. Then were the king's scribes called on the 13th day of the first month. And there was written according to all that Haman had commanded unto the king's lieutenants and to the governors that were over every province and to the rulers of every people of every province according to the writing thereof and to every people after their language. Now, this man's kingdom is, is, is large. It's very, it's very, very large, you know. So there's many different nations that are within his entire kingdom. So he's writing letters in all these different languages and sending out through the whole kingdom. And it says there, um, he wrote it in the name of the king and sealed it with the king's ring. When he did that, that means that it could not be reversed. Because that was the law according to the Medes and the Persians. This was during that time. And the letters were sent by, the, by post into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to cause to perish all Jews both young and old, little children and women, in one day, even upon the 13th day of the 12th month, which is in the month of Adar, and to take the spoil of them for prey. So a letter went out to kill every Jew, men, children, women, everybody, and to take everything that belonged to them. And it says, the copy of the writing for a commandment to, to be given in every province was published unto all the people, that they should be ready against that day. The post went out, being hastened by the king's commandment, and the decree was given in Shushan the palace. And the king and Haman sat down to drink. <laughs> but the city of Shushan was perplexed. He put his thing in motion, and him and the king sat down, had a drink. About to kill all these people. We got a day. Now, what, what I didn't go over here, and I'll get to this later, and I won't even get to it now, but I'll just mention it. You know, that he, he was taking a, um, he kind of, he used witchcraft to try to determine what day would be the best day to take them out. <laughs> he was drawing lots, you know, trying to figure out which day would be best and what month would be best, you know. And then he found him, and he called this a lucky day to take them out. 
So bottom line is, you know, this is, of course, an evil situation that the Jews find themselves in. And I'm sure that when they hear this news, everyone is like, you know, freaking out, you know, like, what's going on? What's happening? They don't realize that it's because one man won't bow to him. That he's ready to kill men, women, children, take everything they got because one man won't bow. And I put here, you know, the only one that's not surprised that all of this is happening, of course, is God. And because God has foreknowledge and he knew that this was going to happen. And see, that's why he started maneuvering things. That's why he positioned Esther in the kingdom. Everything is set up for a purpose. Never forget that God is never taken by surprise. Now, we may be taken by surprise when something goes down, but God is never taken by surprise. He's never like, oh, my God, I didn't know that was going to happen. You know, he's always he always knows what's going to happen. And he's always positioning things to make sure, you know, one of the words, you know, God showed me this a while ago that Jehovah Jireh doesn't necessarily mean that the Lord is my provider. That's not the literal translation. The literal translation of Jehovah Jireh is the Lord has seen or he has foreseen the situation, right? He has foreknowledge of the situation and because he does, right, he sets things up that when it comes to pass, he's already met the need. It means the Lord has seen. That's exactly what it means. The Lord saw. So when Jeho so the first time we see Jehovah Jireh is when Abraham is about to offer up Isaac, right? And when he, when, when he sees the ram that's caught in the thicket and he sacrificed him instead of his son, he calls the name of that place Jehovah Jireh. So in other words, the Lord has foreseen. He has, he has saw my need before I even knew I had it. And he met it. So God has already seen what was going down. He already knows what's going down. So now Esther is in the kingdom. Esther is the queen. And she's, and she's a Jew and no one else knows it. And now, when they're about to take these people out, God is ready to make his move. And I was put here, you know, um, again, we may be surprised, but he never is. He was completely ready for this move that the devil was about to try to make. And speaking of the enemy, you need to know that it was the devil that, of course, stirred this incident up. He's the one that's whispering into Haman's ear. And I put here, if someone treats you wrong... You may want to get revenge against them. But this man is so enraged that he wants to exterminate an entire people. Now, you know that got to be demonically inspired. You know, it's natural to not like when somebody doesn't do something, you know, that somebody does something that offends you. But to them turn around and want to take their whole family out. <laughs> That's a whole different level of an act of revenge. And of course, that is demonically inspired. So now let's kind of, you know, let's get down to, let's go down to chapter 5. Esther chapter 5. Now, after this, you know, Mordecai, you know, he's, he hears the news. And he begins to walk back and forth and he's frustrated. And Esther sees it because he, you know, he got sackcloth and ashes on, man. He's like, he's mourning. And Esther tries to find out what's going on with him. And that's where we get that scripture from. He just says, look, you know. We're about to get exterminated here, and you need to go talk to the king. And she says, well, you know, I ain't supposed to go talk to no king. 
to king until he comes summons me. And, um, and Mordecai said, look, don't think that you're going to escape because you're sitting in the king's pretty in the king's palace. <laughs> he said, you know, and if you don't do it, you know, God's going to send us some kind of deliverance. Now, see, that, 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 that speaks volumes right there, that no matter what happens, now God can position you, but if you refuse to move, the deliverance is going to come from somewhere. But he lets her know that if you don't, deliverance will come, but you'll wind up getting taken out. <laughs> and he says then, and who knows, maybe you're in the kingdom for such a time as this, which is exactly why she was there. Her whole purpose of being there, not to be a queen. See, we think that we're in positions. You know, God places us places because, you know, we're, we're hot stuff, you know, and because he just wants us to sit. But God never just puts you somewhere for, with no purpose. If he ever puts you into a place of authority or, or position of some type of power, it's always to help somebody else. It's never just for you. Now, God will allow you to enjoy blessings, but you're not there just for yourself. You're not blessed just for you. You don't have money just for you. You don't have favor just for you. You don't have power just for you. You always have it so that you can help someone else. Joseph was placed in a position of power, not so that he can, you know, rub Potiphar and his wife's nose and the fact that he, uh, they did him wrong. He was there for one purpose, to save all of the Jewish people from not starving in the famine. That was his whole, whole purpose for being there in Egypt. You know, so whenever God places you somewhere, never forget that you're not there just so that you can soak up all of the blessings for yourself. You're there for someone else or for a group of people. So here's Esther. She's in this position. She's been placed in this great position of authority. She has the ear of the most powerful man in the, in the world, right? The person that has the authority to stop what's happening. And now she can't just, you know, sit back and say, well, you know, hey, I'm not going to say nothing because uh, I don't want to get in trouble myself. She has to move. So she begins to fast. And she tells all of her people to fast. And she tells all of the Jews to fast. And they all fast. And now she's going to go before the, uh, the king. Now, that's where we pick it up. And um, Esther chapter 5. And we'll read verses 1 through 4 there. And it says, now it came to pass on the third day, right? This is the third day after she's finished fasting and praying. That Esther put on her royal apparel and stood in the inner court of the king's house over against the king's uh, the king's house. Now, again, I want to I mention this to you that, that she's taking her life in her own hands. Because the bottom line is, if, if the king does not extend to her the golden scepter, she's dead meat, man. <laughs> Queen or not, she, she's going to be executed. Because she's not to, supposed to come before him until she's summoned. Now, this is the, the, the world that she's living in, you know, and that's why she had an issue with going before him in the first place and why she fasted. So now she's standing out there. She got all of her royal apparel on and, and she's really, I'm, I'm sure, praying hard that, that favor would be given to her. And it says, and the king sat upon his royal throne in a royal house over against the gate of the house. And it was so when the king saw Esther, the queen, standing in the court that she obtained favor in his sight. Now, let me just kind of mention to you, I'm going to go back just for a second and just kind of mention to you the type of man 
that this is. Now, this is not the type of, you know, love relationship like, you know, Chaz loves, you know, Toya, his wife, you know. She can come to him anytime. She, you know, he, he, she don't need no golden scepter. She's just going to walk. She's going to bust in the door. You know, my, my wife, the same thing. My wife, she, gonna, she, she ain't going to be waiting for me to hold no golden scepter out. She coming in, you know. This is not that type of relationship. Now, mind you, this is the same man that when his queen, his original queen, he asked her to come dance. Now, when she asked him, now, I want you to understand the context, right? We think that she was just going to come out there and dance, and she just refused to dance, right? Like, what's wrong with her? She should have came out there. Well, he wanted her to dance butt naked. So that's why she had an issue with coming out and dancing before all of his drunk friends. Because he wanted to show all of the people her beauty. So that's why she had an issue with doing it. So now this is this type of man. Now I want you to understand the type of man we're talking about. They're not in no real love relationship. I mean, he got a harem, you know. He got all these women, you know. So, I mean, she's the queen. But... The queen didn't have the type of power that you think that she would have, you know. So you got to understand the context of what's of what you're reading, you know. So this is why she's like, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to mess around with this guy, man. I mean, I, she hasn't seen this man in months. It's been months since she's last seen him. He ain't called for her in months. That tells you the kind of relationship they got. How, you think, how you think you not see your wife for months and you all right with it? <laughs> so this is the kind of man we're talking about. Now she's like, you know, I don't, I don't you know, I don't know. He said, well, look, you, you better figure it out. <laughs> so she, you know, so she goes before him. And the Bible says there, it was so that when the king saw Esther, the queen standing in the court, that she obtained favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. Then said the king unto her, What wilt thou, Queen Esther? And what is your request? It shall be given you, even to half the kingdom. And Esther answered, If it seem good unto the king, let the king and Haman Come this day into the banquet that I have prepared for him. Now, see, after three days of fasting and prayer, Esther begins to seek the favor of the king. Now, again, I told you that this is a possible death sentence because not even the queen can just come into the uh, king's presence. So, again, she was just really, just really taking her life in her hands, right? And she needed the favor of God to get favor with the king. And, um, you know, I was, I've been preaching this, that the fact is that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And like the rivers of water, he turns it with us whatever way he will. And that's why I always, you know, that's why I always pray, you know, before I go into someone's presence, you know, before I meet with someone, before I go into any kind of business deal, before, you know, I, I meet with anybody that's a boss or something like that. Father, I pray in Jesus' mighty name that you give me favor with this individual. You said in your word that the heart of kings is in your hand, like the rivers of water you turn it with us, however way you will. You know, you should always pray that before you go into anybody, any kind of meeting or any kind of business deal, any kind of interview or something like that. 
Pray for God to give you favor with individuals before you just bust into their presence. Because he has those, he has the hearts of kings in his hand. I also mention this. Um, this fast was more than, it was more for her than it was for God. Now I want you to understand that. Because we think that when we fast, we're moving God. You know, fasting is more so for you. In other words, fasting is meant to, you know, um, when Jesus, right, Jesus came down from, a, from the mountain of transfiguration. And the Bible says that they, there was this young boy that was possessed with a dumb spirit, you know. And, he's, and the guy says, I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't cast him out. And, um, and they, you know, when Jesus cast him out, they say, well, why couldn't we do that? And he says, because of the littleness of your faith. And then later on, he talks about these kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting, right? So what does prayer and fasting do? Well, it increases the littleness of your, your faith, right? You have little faith in some areas. Some things you don't have enough, some things you don't have enough faith for. And you need to understand when you run into situations where you just don't have enough faith for it. Some uh, issues that you deal with, you got enough faith to deal with it, right? So you don't need to fast. You need to fast when you run into a situation where you just don't have enough faith to believe God to move it. And so when you begin to fast, what it does is it begins to put your flesh under and it brings your spirit man up to the surface. And it begins to strengthen your faith so that you can believe God for something that seemed to be impossible to you. That's the real purpose of you fasting. It's not for God. It's not to move the hand of God. It's to move you from a place of unbelief to belief. Does that make sense? So her situation was... I'm, I'm frightened to go before this guy. You know, I don't want to go before this man because he ain't caught me in months. And if I go in his presence and he don't hold out the golden scepter, I'm dead. So that's why she says, look, I'm fasting for three days and three nights. And I need everybody to fast. Because I need, I need this strength, this faith to go before him so that I can get what we need. So this fast was more so for her than it was for, for, you know, for God. And I just want to kind of get you to understand that. Does that make sense? So I just put here, see, God was going to give her favor regardless. Because it was the will of God. You know what I'm saying? He was, she was going to give favor regardless. But she didn't have enough on the inside to believe that. This was already, see, whenever something is the agenda of God, see, she's not trying to turn God's hand because God's already, his hand of favor is already towards the Jews. But now she needs enough faith to make that move to go before him. And then, of course, to get wisdom, right? Because she goes in there with a plan. She doesn't just go inside there and say, don't kill us. <laughs> she goes in there with a plan. Let me have, you know, let's get a meal together that, that you and Haman can come to. So she, evidently, she's been praying, she's been fasting, and she's been getting the wisdom of God. And now God has given her direction on what she needs to do in order to stop all of this from happening. 
Because remember, Haman has great favor with the king. You don't see Haman having no problem with going before the king when he feels like it. So he has great favor. And he gave the king money. So, I mean, he's, he's doing all right for himself. So, again, she needed to fast to build her faith because, of course, she was scared of what might happen to her. Um, so, fasting it increases your faith in God. So, whenever, again, whenever you're going through a situation where you're like, like I just, you got to be honest with yourself. Don't, don't, don't try to be super spiritual and be like, there's some things I just don't have enough faith for. You know, there's some things that I've conquered in life. So if they ever come up again, I got enough faith to deal with that because I know what God has done for me last time. But there's some things I run into that are brand new. They're bigger than what I, what I am. You know, and I'm just like, I don't have really have enough faith. You got to be honest with yourself and say, I really don't have enough faith to, to conquer that. See, but you want to be spiritual and be like, yeah, I'm a man, a woman of faith and power. Man, I believe God for everything. No, you don't. You don't. There's some areas where you just, you don't got it. <laughs> so in those instances, you need to fast, you know, and, and, ask, and, and, and get that increase of faith so that you can believe for it. All right. So let me just move on. So uh, skip down to verse six. So it says there. And the king said unto Esther at the banquet of wine. So now she says, what is your petition? And it shall be granted you. Now she's there at the meal with Haman and the king. And he says, what do you want? You know, and what is your request? Even to have the kingdom, it shall be performed. Then answered, uh, then a uh, answered Esther and said, my petition and my request is if I have found favor in your sight and the sight of the king. And if it pleased the king to grant my petition and to perform my request, let the king and Haman come to the banquet that I shall prepare for them, and I will do tomorrow as the king said. So, he, so you know, she's getting everything set up, man. She's, you know, she made, she had a banquet set up for them. They all sat down and ate. And she says, you know, I'll do another banquet for you tomorrow, and I'm going to tell you exactly what I want. Now, check this out. Then went Haman forth that day joyful and glad in heart. Man, he's so happy. He's like, my God, man, I just had dinner with the king and the queen. And not only that, I'm going to be having dinner with the king and the queen tomorrow. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he stood not up nor moved for him, he was full of indignation against Mordecai. <laughs> and it said, nevertheless, Haman refrained himself. And when he came home, he sent and called for his friends and Zeresh, his wife. And now check this out. And Haman told them of the glory of his riches. And he got all this money. And the multitude of his children. And he said something like Haman had like 30 sons or something like that. <laughs> and all the kings and all the things wherein the king had promoted him. And how he advanced him above the princes and servants of the king. And Haman said, moreover, yea, Esther the queen did, did let no man come in with the king unto the banquet that she had prepared but myself. I mean, he's feeling good about himself. And tomorrow am I invited unto her also with the king. Now check this out. Yet all of this means nothing to me. So long as Mordecai the Jew sitting in, is sitting in the king's gate. See, it's never enough. 
I got money, children, you know, I got the king's favor, the queen's favor, everything, man. I'm just me, the, the king and the queen. No other man could come, just us. And tomorrow, the same thing. Yet none of this means nothing to me. As long as Mordecai the Jew is not standing up and bowing down before me. Can you believe that? It says, then said Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends unto him, let gallows be made of 50 cubits high. And tomorrow speak thou unto the king that Mordecai may be hanged thereon. <laughs> then go thou and merrily with the king unto the banquet. And it says, and the thing pleased Haman, and he caused the gallows to be made. See, many people have this problem. No matter how good they got it, they're never satisfied. See, it's the spirit. It's the spirit. This man has everything that he could ever imagine wanting. He has the favor of the king. He has great position in the kingdom. He has many children. He has riches. He has honor. But he says with his own mouth that none of, that th none of these things means anything to him as long as Mordecai is in the king's gate disrespecting him. He therefore puts a plan in motion to get revenge. But like they say, he who seeks revenge must dig two graves. <laughs> one for his enemy and one for himself. That's why God doesn't want us to seek revenge. He always, you always destroy yourself when you seek revenge against others. And as long as Haman allowed Mordecai's disrespect towards him to affect him, he wasn't able to enjoy the many blessings that he had. You know, there's some people out there, man, they just... They can't enjoy how good they got it because they're focused on one situation or one person. And this man is sitting here. He can't enjoy. You can't have it any better than this man has it. But because of the fact that Mordecai won't bow, none of that means anything to him. And the bottom line is, see, he allowed his anger to take him to the point where he wants to kill the people of Mordecai, and now he's devised a special way to kill Mordecai himself. Now, he's already set in motion that he's going to kill all the Jews. And now he got a special death in plan, uh, in plan for Mordecai. I'm going to hang him on these gallows. I'm going to kill all his people, and then I'm going to hang him on these gallows and watch him swing. Then I'll be happy. Can you imagine? But I put here, but vengeance never ends well. And that's why God told us that he doesn't want us to fight our battles. Now, this is what I wanted to mention to you. See, for the most part, when we talk about greed, it's usually for money and possessions, right? But clearly, Haman's greed was of a different sort. He even confesses that all of his riches, the size of his family, and how the king promoted meant nothing to him as long as Mordecai didn't bow before him. See, this is a greed and a lust for power authority and position and whenever a person has a spirit of greed on them enough is never enough they always want more this man already has the highest position next to the king he has wealth he has honor he has respect the only thing that he can't have is one man bowing before him <laughs> and because he couldn't have that not only is he willing to kill that man by hanging him on gallows that he personally made but he's also ready to kill every Jewish person in the entire kingdom. Now, this is the spirit of greed in, in full view. 
for us to see it, right? So that's how you can recognize when a person have a spirit of greed on them. They can never, nothing's never enough. And I don't care what the greed is for, it's just nothing, it's never enough. So this is the position that everybody finds themselves in. But the beautiful thing about God is that, again, when someone has it in for you, if you don't fight your own battles, God will begin to fight for you. So turn to Esther chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 10 there. You guys doing all right with this? Good. Now this is amazing. Now, he, Haman, he just has this conversation with his family, his friends. They make the gallows. He's ready. The next day, Haman says, I'm going in there. I'm going to talk to king about hanging, hanging Mordecai on these gallows. He's done. I'm going to have my dinner with Esther and the king. I'm going to ask him to hang him on these gallows, and I'm going to sit down and have a good time. But, but God, ain't, God ain't even getting started yet. Esther chapter 6, verse 1, it says, On that night, that very same night, the king couldn't sleep. And he ordered that the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, be brought, and they were read before the king. And it was found written there how Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's attendants who guarded the door, who had sought to lay hands on the king. So you know earlier in the uh, scriptures it talks about how these two men planned to assassinate the king. Mordecai heard it and he told it to Esther and Esther told the king. But nothing had ever, you know, they found out that it was true and they killed those two men. But nothing had ever been done for Mordecai. And it says, and the king said, what honor or distinction has been given Mordecai for this? Then the king's servants who ministered to him said, nothing has been done for him. The king said, who is in the court? It says, now Haman had just come into the inner court of the king's palace to ask the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. <laughs> he just walks in. He's all set. I'm going to ask the king to hang. He couldn't even wait till the next day. <laughs> I'm going to talk to the king tonight to ask him to hang Mordecai on these gallows. And the king's servant said to him, Behold, Haman is standing in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in. And the king said to him, What shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? <laughs> now Haman said to himself, To whom would the king delight to honor more than me? Right? Arrogance, pride, man. Like, you know, of course the king's talking about me. And Haman said unto the king, For the man whom the king's delights to honor, let royal apparel be brought which the king has worn, and the horse which the king has ridden, and a royal crown be set on his head. <laughs> and let the apparel and the horse be delivered to the, to the hand of one who, of the king's most noble princes. And let him array the man whom the king delights to honor, or put the stuff on him, you know, and conduct him on horseback through the open square of the city and proclaim before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor, you know. So he's setting up, he's thinking about himself, you know, how he's going to be paraded. But then the king said to Haman, make haste and take the apparel and the horse, as you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. <laughs> Leave out nothing that you have spoken. <laughs> so then 
then he got to go out and he has to put, on, put a robe on Mordecai. And then he has to put a crown on his head. <laughs> and he has to put him around, you know, he has to walk him. He got a horse, Mordecai sitting on the horse, and he's walking the horse like this, you know, up and down the street. And he's saying, this is what the king does to the person he wants to honor. <laughs> Can you imagine that? <laughs> I mean, you know Haman got to be hot, man. I mean, he, he's coming. He's only, in, he's only there because he's about to ask the king, I want to hang Mordecai on these gallows. unbelievable and I put here you know if I believed in coincidence I would say wow what a coincidence <laughs> but I don't believe that anything is a coincidence let's just think about this for a moment on the night that Haman plans to ask the king to allow him to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he made specifically to kill him the king himself can't sleep and he asked for the book of memorable deeds to be brought to him while reading this bedtime story to the king, they just so happened to find the story of how Mordecai saved the king's life from being assassinated. They just fall upon that story, you know, somehow. They just read that story. When he hears this, he has to ask, what, what, you know, what has been done for Mordecai? And, it's, you know, servants, nothing. We haven't done anything for him. Upon hearing this, of course, the king decides that he must honor him for what he did for him. And as coincidence would have it, Haman is out there in the court. Again, he was there just ready to ask him to hang Mordecai on the gallows. Amazing. And um, I put here, you know, the amazing thing is that the pride of Haman really shows because he figures, who else would the king like to honor but me? And with his own mouth, he, he lays out a plan to honor himself, really. <laughs> so, the ultimate slap in the face is he has to do it for Mordecai, the same man that he wants to hang on gallows. He has to parade this man around town and shout, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Now, the moral of the story is this, God has your back. The amazing thing is that Mordecai doesn't even know that Haman is intending to murder him, but God does. God knows everyone's secret plot that they have against you, and he knows how to deliver you from it. God even knows how to turn the situation into a blessing for you. The Bible says in Psalms 23 that he will prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. You're talking about, man, this... God that hates your guts has to parade you around town. Can you imagine that? The God who wants to murder you. I mean, he made gallows to kill you on. And now he has to take you around town, put a crown on you, put a robe on you, put you on a horse. <laughs> Can you imagine that? He will prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. To take this a step further, he will even make your enemy set the table and then serve you the food. So, I mean, this is more than just being in the presence. 
He ain't just watching you eat. He's preparing it and serving it to you. And that's just what Haman had to do for Mordecai. He told the king what to do for the man who he wants to honor. Haman made sure that he included the best of the best. Because, of course, he thought he was talking about him. <laughs> that's setting the table with the best food on it. Then he had to serve Mordecai. What an awesome God that we serve. And the story doesn't end there. But, you know, that's just that's the beginning. Now, it starts there. Now, Haman's humiliation is in full force. And that's the chapter 6. Let's go down. It says, verse 11, it says, Then took Haman the apparel and the horse and arrayed Mordecai and brought him on horseback through the city, through the street of the city, and proclaimed before him, Thus shall it be done unto the man whom the king delights to honor. And it says, And after that, Mordecai came to the king's gate. But Haman hasted to his house in mourning, <laughs> and having his head covered, because of his shame and embarrassment, you know. And Haman told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends, everything that had befallen him. Then said his wise men, and Zeresh, his wife, unto him, If Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews, before whom thou hast begun to fall, thou shalt not prevail against him, but shalt surely fall before him. And while they were yet talking with him, came the king's chamberlains and hasted to bring Haman unto the banquet that Esther had prepared. So he's just fresh from his humiliation, and now they come get him and say, come on, let's go to the, to the palace to see the king. And I put here, see, it's at this moment that Haman realizes that he's, he's in real trouble. Everything that he's worked for his entire life is about to go up in smoke. Even his wife and his friends and his wise men know what's about to happen to him. And attempting, attempting to attack and destroy the people of God never turns out good for the attacker because God will never allow the enemy to triumph over us. Never forget that. If we allow him to fight our battles, he will always defeat the enemy before us. We don't even have to get our hands dirty. Mordecai, hasn't even, he hasn't even done anything but praying fast. That's it. He ain't done nothing but praying fast so far. We don't have to cuss nobody out. We don't have to fight with anybody. As you can see, Mordecai said one word to Haman, good or bad. He hasn't needed to. God is fighting for him and for all of the Jewish people. All they've done so far is pray and fast. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to fight in the spirit. Because our fight is not against people, it's against demonic forces. Never forget that. We don't have to fight people. If we continue to, we just pray, believe God to move on our behalf. And God just began to fight his battles for him. I mean, look at all of the work he's done so far. He wakes the king up, can't sleep. You know, of course, God won't let him sleep. He brings his book before him and it falls to the page where Mordecai saved his life. Every, all of this stuff is being set up by God. Now, let's just kind of get ready to close and end this thing. Esther chapter 7, verse 1. It says, so the king and Haman came to the banquet with Esther the queen. And the king said again to Esther on the second day at the banquet of wine, what is your petition, Queen Esther? And it shall be granted you. And what is your request? And it shall be performed even to the half of my kingdom. 
Then Esther the queen answered and said, if I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. For we are sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be slain, and to perish. But we have been sold for bondmen and bondwomen. I had held my tongue, although the enemy could not countervail the king's damage. Then the king Ahasuerus answered and said unto Esther the queen, Who is he and where is he that durst presume in his heart to do so? Who is this person that's trying to do this to you? And Esther said, The adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. Here they are sitting there, Haman probably like drinking. I can imagine him. I just like imagine the scriptures. I can imagine him taking a drink of wine and, and like, you know, start coughing. <laughs> it's this wicked Haman. <laughs> he coughs up his wine, you know. And it says, then Haman was afraid before the king and the queen. And the king arising from the banquet of wine in his wrath went into the palace garden. And Haman stood up to make a request for his life to Esther the queen, for he saw that there was evil determined against him by the king. Then the king returned out of the palace guarding into the place of the banquet of wine, and Haman was falling upon the bed where, whereupon Esther was. I mean, he's pleading for his life, you know. He's like pleading, you know. But when the king sees him, he thinks he's trying to rape her, you know. <laughs> it says, then, the, then said the king, will he force or try to rape the queen also before me in my house? <laughs> you know what I mean? He says, as the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. <laughs> Man, he put a bag over his head. <laughs> and, Har and Harbana, one of, the one of the chamberlains, said before the king, Behold also the gallows 50, 50 cubits high, which Haman had made for Mordecai, who had spoken good for the king. <laughs> Standeth in the house of Haman. Then the king said, hang him thereon. <laughs> so they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. It says, then was the king's wrath pacified. My God, man. Talk about a turn of events, man. And I put here, see, the fate of people that have a vengeful spirit is that they will be hanged on the gallows that they prepared for their own enemies to be hung on. That's the fate. Now I put here, that's why I never worry about people that have it out for me. Why? Because anybody that decides that they want to take me out will sabotage themselves. And they will eventually hang on the same gallows that they tried to hang me on. Remember, you don't have to fight your battles because God has said, vengeance is mine, I'll repay. And he can repay your enemies better than you can ever repay them. He'll cause them, whatever, whatever they decided to do against you, it'll wind up happening for them. They try to get you fired on your job, they'll wind up getting fired themselves. <laughs> People start doing that stuff like that, try to come after you, man. You don't have to worry about fighting your battles, man. That God will turn that thing around for you and he'll take those people out with the same, that same knife they try to stab you with or stab themselves with it. I mean, he built these gallows. He was ready to hang Mordecai on them gallows. And very same gallows he was swinging on. And I, it doesn't end there. Ten of his sons 
were also hanged on them same gallows. So I'm going to close here. I know we got to close. But I'll just give you a couple of key points about this so you can understand a little bit further, right, why this, this, this thing came about. First of all, uh, uh, just for informational purposes, Haman, they call, he was an Agagite, right? That was his nationality. This means that he was a descendant of Agag, who was the king of the Amalekites, right? Now, you remember the Amalekites, right? After the Jewish people crossed the Red Sea, they, you know, they encamped at Rephidim. And while the Jews were there, they were recuperating from leaving Egypt. The nation of Amalek launched a surprise attack against them. And though the Jews had no designs on trying to take their territory, they, and they weren't even headed towards their direction, they just came and just surprise attacked them. And now that's when you, you see that Moses, he went up on the mountain. He sent Joshua to the battle to fight. He was up on the mountain. And Aaron and Hur held his hands up while he was in the battle. And uh, as long as his hands were held up, Joshua and, and, and the Israelites were winning. When his hands came down, then the Amalekites won. Now, after this takes place, God decides that I'm going to exterminate the Amalekites. They're done. I'm killing them. I'm going to have them all. They're all going to die, you know as a result of this surprise attack against them. So now this guy is a descendant from these guys. So they are, in scriptures, considered mortal enemies. And now at this point, there is no more Amalekites. They're all done. Because <laughs> God said, I'm taking them out, that's it. So he's one of these guys, you know. So it's just kind of just scriptural uh, background for you. And he was also, you know, he was... He was definitely into astrology because, um, again, he was, when he was, he, was, he was rolling dice or he was drawing lots for a day when would be the perfect time to take these guys out. And he kept, you know, every time he did, he couldn't find the right day. That's how much favor God had for his people. He couldn't find the right day to take, these, to take them out. And he kept kind of rolling. And he did this for a long time trying to figure out what would be the right day to take him out. Finally, he came down to the day of uh, Agar, the month of Agar, to try to take them out. But again, God turned it around. Finally, it was according to scholars, Haman was hanged on the second day of the Passover feast. His sons were also punished for their father's sins. Ten of his sons were killed by the Jews and hanged on a, as a spectacle for everyone to see on those gallows that he prepared. So I just wanted to show you that because you got to understand where a spirit of greed will get you and where it will get people when they operate in it and to be able to understand how to see it when it's in operation. Again, when someone has a greedy spirit on them, I don't care how much they get, it's never enough. They can't get enough money, they can't get enough power, they can't get enough authority. Whatever they, they have, it's never enough. They always got to have more. But if they begin to continue in that spirit of greed and they start operating in that vengeful spirit, it'll wind up coming back upon them and they'll lose everything that they worked for. As awesome as Haman's life was, he's second only to the king. Now Mordecai takes his position and he becomes second only to the king. 
He has money. He has family, friends, authority, power. He has everything. All he can't have is one man that won't bow before him. And his revenge, his vengeful spirit caused him to lose everything that he had. And that's what happens with people when they have greedy and vengeful spirits. Eventually, they lose everything. And if they try to come against a man or woman of God, they're, they're in even more trouble. So I'm going to end right there. It's almost 9, 9.20, so we got to close. But let's just, I uh, hope you got something out of that. But just lift your hands to Jesus, and we're going to close right here. So, Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we just thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for giving us that word. I believe that was right now word, especially for us to remember that the battle is not ours. It's yours. No matter how bad somebody has it in for us, if they try to come against us with everything that they have, we already know that those same gallows that they are trying to hang us on, you will turn it around. And even if it looks like everything is going against, against us, we know that eventually, somehow, you're turning around for us and the gallows that these people are trying to hang us on, they'll wind up swinging from them. And we'll wind up taking their position of power and authority. And Father, we just thank you and we give you praise. We thank you for giving us this word tonight. I pray that it encourages your people. And for it, Father, we thank you. We give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's just give Jesus a praise. Amen, 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 amen.